You are listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I am Kelsey Warner, future editor. Joining me today is Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi's CEO and cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. Rakesh Suri. We talk about the global response to coronavirus. He says there's no reason for paranoia. We get into that a little later in the episode, but first we dig into the future of medicine and robotics and the art of open heart surgery. Here it is. Dr. Sari, welcome. Delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So you are a kind of a pioneer of robotic cardiac surgery. Can you just first walk us through what that is and uh, how it's changing open heart surgery? It's important to recognize how robotics started in cardiac surgery. Uh, we had a really good operation, uh, mitral valve repair performed through an open chest that took about 40 years to develop, perfect, and obtain the science for rationalizing why saving someone's heart valve was a good thing. Once we had that science and that body of evidence, it then became the goal to get this to patients earlier. Because when patients waited too long to come to cardiologists and then surgeons to undergo a life-saving operation, mitral valve repair, essentially fixing a leaky heart valve that allowed blood to go uh, uh, more avidly or allow more blood to go backwards and forwards, then they, their hearts suffered forever. So the goal became getting them to surgery earlier. And of course, everybody wants to avoid an open chest. So that's where robotics came in. Robotics allowed us to perform the same life-changing, life-saving operation, essentially allowing people to go back to normal life, but without opening the patient's chest. And where are robotics coming in, and where, where do the surgeons meet the robotics? A robot is just a tool. So, you know, when you go to Ace Hardware and you buy that new wrench, this is just the new wrench on the block. <laughs> and is there a sense that robotics will be automated at a certain point and the surgeon will be able to step back? Or do you think that relationship will always be very surgeon forward? So there, um, there enters the question of artificial intelligence and robotic automation that has entered uh, fields like automotive uh construction and the manufacturing lines around the world. Human beings aren't manufacturable. Uh, so I think we have, a, we have a long ways to go before uh, we, we put your life at the risk of a robot. Okay. And so when you say not manufacturable, you mean there's a lot of vari variability among human bodies. Yeah. And so yeah. to automate a system like that would be nearly impossible. Let me let me approach it from the following angle. Yeah. Um, why I love mitral valve surgery is is the intersection between science and art, mm. a a defined algorithm and creativity, and in fact, there's very few mitral valve repair surgeons around the world. The reason for that, as I explained to patients, is you need to do thousands of them before you become a master, meaning you need to have seen all of the, the many, many variants that the human body can create and understand how to fix it with um, a pair of scissors, a needle and thread, and a few small adjuncts. But essentially, it's the hands and the eyes of a, of a surgeon that allows them to reconstruct the valve 
so that it functions normally and beautifully. And importantly, you reconstruct the valve when the heart is flaccid, meaning it's empty of blood because you cannot operate unless the heart is empty of blood. It's, uh, it, it needs to be drained and the patient supported on a heart-lung bypass machine. And therefore, when you're constructing it, it's really two-dimensional. You're looking at something that's, that's flat and floppy and, and, and collapsing upon itself. So the, the opportunity we have as surgeons is to create something in our mind Imagine what that 2D structure will look like when the heart is reanimated, full of blood and beating. So if you, if you imagine there's only a few people in the world, probably about 50 of us who do a high volume of these types of surgeries. And you personally have done more than 6,000 surgeries at this point in your well, career. You know, it's, it's, it's like getting, it's getting, getting up in, every day and having breakfast. How many breakfasts have you had in your life? I, I don't know. That's just how you do feel. It. I do, it's just part of my, mm-hmm. my And you're still a practicing routine. surgeon. I do. I do. It's really important in my role to, to have a, have a sense of what's going on in the operating rooms and to be able to participate in my craft. But what I'm saying about mitral valve surgery is that if you think that there's only a certain number of people in the world who do high volumes of these can, of these operations, and then you further sub-segment that population into those who have the willingness to learn robotics, the aptitude, uh, and and the ability, then you have a very few number. There's probably about five of us worldwide who have done a significant number of these operations uh, and can offer it routinely to patients. And do you think the advent of 5G in hospitals is going to change the uptake at all? Or 5G literally allows us to do everything faster in hospitals. So everything, for instance, at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, uh, in the infrastructure and in the monitoring uh, um, sort of uh, network through the hospital is powered by the the, um, wireless connection. So 5G merely helps that occur in a in a more rapid fashion. And the idea is that it could bring it it would bring it to like a real time zero lag. Reality. We have zero lag, essentially, uh, a noticeable lag in robotics within the hospital where 5G could have an effect is hospital to hospital, inter-hospital transmission of robotics Mm -hmm. or uh, transcontinental. Uh, 5G could potentially have a role. So then you're talking about remote surgery. So surgeons performing, say, in Boston. Yes, but the surgery is occurring in Abu Dhabi. Everybody's spoken about that from the beginning. Right. I mean, that was the first thing. Even before the car was built, people were Listeners talking about flying the car. Listeners can't see this, but you look car. dubious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people were talking about flying the car even before the car was built. Mm-hmm. So now we've built the car, so to speak, as an analogy. We've we've driven it for uh, for the last twenty years in robotics. It's gotten better and better in terms of the the, the size the the uh, the fidelity of translating the surgeon's hand movements into the chest uh, it's got more er- it's become more ergonomically um, suitable to to reside by the patient's bedside but what it will not do for any time in the near future is take over the role of surgeon uh, and the same is true of transcontinental surgery Robotics were designed to be able to operate in a war in a war zone. So, for instance, if there was some traumatic uh, uh, injury that required the expertise of a skilled surgeon that was half a world away, the robot was conceived in one version uh, 
to be able to uh, replace the surgeon in the in the war zone. The problem with that becomes the following: a surgeon never goes in and only does what they intend to do. Meaning, stuff happens. Patients bleed. Um, vessels are in the wrong place. Tissues don't fold the way they're supposed to. Uh, they can tear. They cannot the gen- sew up. The general chaos of the human body that we all deal with on a That's day-to-day right. basis. The problem is these things happen in a millisecond. Mm. And once they when they happen, you need to react immediately to save life. And that is the beauty and the responsibility of, of medicine. And that's why we go into medicine, is to be there to save lives. So what you're saying really is human mastery, human imagination trumps technology all day, every day. And the ability to be there when stuff goes bad. Mm. Uh, I want to talk to you about Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi just as a setting. I d- joke to visitors that it's my favorite hotel in the, in the Emirate. Um, can you talk more about sort of these like soft, you as an admin administrator of the hospital, how important was the look and feel of the space for patients? Because I think we're becoming more evolved in our sense of how the mind affects our clinical outcomes and how mindfulness and a sense of calm. And for those who haven't been to Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, there's just there's a lot of natural light. Um, you don't necessarily feel like you're in a hospital when you're in the public spaces. Uh, so what was the rationale behind creating that that feel? Uh, you're right. It's a glass-encased hospital uh, filled with sunlight, which is magnificent. There's greenery on the roof. It's an LED gold certified building. Every uh, light bulb has an IP address. So it really is the most sophisticated hospital on the planet that I know know of, and it's truly beautiful. When human beings undergo challenging things, whether it's a trauma or a life-threatening diagnosis or a surgery, uh, the ability to be connected with nature and sun and community we know is very important. Moreover, there are spaces where patients and families can meditate, can pray, can uh, practice cultural norms. These are all part of the healing journey, and they're very much a part of what every patient at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi gets. I want to say that in in some ways calling it a five-star hospital has, has not served us well because many, many people have the incorrect assumption that they don't have access to Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. And I, I want to dispel that myth. We are here for the people. We are here for every UAE national in the entire emirate and the nation. We're here for every expatriate who is, who is a resident of this nation. We're accessible. We offer all care in medicine other than mother and baby care and trauma. Actually, everything in medicine. Even we, we even serve children in our emergency department 24-7. So I want to dispel that notion. This is a hospital for the people. Please come. Please use it. Please allow us to touch your lives in a healing way. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about coronavirus uh, as, my, as my last question, actually. The World Health Organization chief yesterday said that the world must prepare for a potential pandemic. So are you concerned? These types of uh, infections are not new to the world. They've, they're cyclical, and they happen, um, they happen every, uh, every, uh, every so often. This is a different, it's a novel or a new virus. What's different about this is that it, um, it's being spread, news of it is being spread in a whole different way. 
we are connected globally through electronic means in a way that we never before have been in history. And this is part of the so-called problem. What's amazing about the response is that governments uh, globally have risen to the challenge, sounded the alarm, put necessary precautions and and, uh, travel restrictions in place, and actually are doing a, a, a pretty good job. In particular, the UAE is a very safe place. Uh, there are very few cases. There are none in Abu Dhabi that we know of. We at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi are working very closely with the national uh, leaders in health to ensure that we are on standby to help the nation meet any potential threat. But this is a safe place. We are ready, not only nationally, not only regionally, but in the hospital itself. We have an extensive screening process in the airports. When people come into the hospital, we, uh, we uh, um, humanely uh, isolate people in, uh, in rooms that are designed for caring for patients when they are being assessed for whether they have coronavirus or not. And if, if anybody were to be diagnosed, we have the best therapy available anywhere on the planet right here in Abu Dhabi. But I want to highlight a couple of myths. Coronavirus is not the most deadly virus or infectious agent that we've seen in our lifetimes. Ebola was far more deadly. And what's paradoxical about a more deadly agent is it spreads less rapidly. Because if you think about it, it actually um, takes the life of those it infects, and therefore the victims get, don't get very far. Coronavirus is, uh, mortality is only 15 to 2% which is, is, is not it's as high as... Than SARS, less than Ebola. That's exactly right. So, yes, it's a problem. We deal with many problems in medicine. This is one of many problems we deal with every day. Thankfully, we do not have it in, in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi are prepared to meet any challenge that arises. But I want to send the message to the public to not be paranoid, not be scared. We are prepared, we are ready, we are with you, and we will get past this. Dr. Suri, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That's it for today. If you like this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the platform you prefer. And please do leave a review. It helps more listeners find us. All that's left to say is thank you to our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. And thank you for listening.